Hello and welcome again to the Survivor's Guide to Life and today Peter and I are here and we're again we're going to be talking about some of the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic particularly to our medical professionals who are going through traumatic experiences caring for people who are, are sick and dying mm -hmm. and don't always know how to deal with themselves uh, and the emotions that come up uh, in the work that they're doing. We also do want to talk to the experience of violence uh, and some of the reactions to the George Floyd killing and the traumatic experiences that some of our first responders are uh, going through at this time to help try to keep us safe. We don't want to take sides, but we see intense experiences coming out of this for everyone involved. And we do have expertise, tools, skills to offer to help first responders and medical professionals to go through this time with better self-care and not burn out. So with that said, hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me, as always, is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today, we are continuing our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with almost 50 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of our real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. She said it all. Actually, I've been very excited about this episode because I was telling Jenny, once we get started, we have so much good material and so many good episodes that we've done that once I get going, it brings up memory, it gives my thoughts about other uh, opportunities that we've taken in training uh, people, uh, particularly the caregiver type, what we call empathic people, people that are givers. And that can, by the way, that, can, that entails cops, that entails... That can entail many different professions other than just nurses and doctors, I assure you. And um, what's really unfortunate today is that because of a few bad apples, a few bad cops, and there are some, there's no question, all of them are being attacked and being accused. And that is such a misguided frustration that they're suffering by. They don't deserve it. And I mean that. I know so many that are more of a caregiver type empathic type than they are enforcers and it only takes one who definitely is bad and I we know that there's others but not that many but just because of one or two bad apples doing some incredibly criminal murder sacks and I agree with this I mean, he was he's a murderer there's no question in my mind I watched the videos but I'll tell you what he's not an example of um, police all over the country that is just not true so when I, and I have plenty of them that are my friends too, and I know they're far from that. So they're taking some very, very serious hits now, and uh, it dangerously so. Um, and my heart goes out to them today. To me, they are part of the frontline caregivers and first responders. They really are. So uh, I want to put my love and support out there for so many good uh, cops, and, and uh, I know we have people in the military, 
and yes, they have a tough job, but the ones that we know are also very much a caregiver type. So that's the people we know. And um, so when I, when I see this, it breaks my heart. On top of everything else that's, that's going on, for this to happen now, it's, it's unbelievable. And it's not a coincidence. I think no, we talked not. about how no. the, 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 the frustration, uh, the fear, the, the anger, the emotions that have built up around the pandemic, I think they are pay, playing a part in the intensity of the reaction. Big time. And, you know, I've talked to some of my friends that are frontline workers, and they, they're on the front lines, and they're telling me the media and every, every, it's being played on everything so intensely, including a lot of the government enforcements of some of these things that are going on with the pandemic. And they feel it's so overdone and so out of touch with the reality, other than the really hot centers like New York City, New Jersey, there's definitely hot centers, but that's not what's going on all over the country. And um, I look at that and I'm going, it's, it's almost cruel to keep feeding people these fearful messages and, and uh, they're, you know, they're talking about enforcement, and they're talking about locking, locking people up and whatever, and I'm listening to that and going, this is so out of hand. And preventing people from opening their businesses and making If they're going to have businesses to open and all the yeah. people that are unemployed, what, 40 million in three months, three or four months? It's I've never heard of anything like this. So you got to know that there's going to be some kind of explosion and decompression, and that's what's happened. Right. And it only took one really bad event, and there's no question it was horrible. And it makes me sick to even see what he did. But what really bothers me is people were just primed for explosion. It was kind of like a match and instead it, of It's trigger. Fire. It's yeah. what we call trigger. Trigger, yeah. And people are now using it as an excuse to get just, you know, when I see what's going on now, it's almost there's so much violence going on and destruction that I'm looking at this going, there's no justification for this, for what they're doing. And they can try to rationalize it all they want. They're doing just terribly destructive reactions to things. It's their way of expressing their frustrations and their fears and their anger, but in such destructive ways. And uh, it's, you know, I, I heard, what was the mayor of Atlanta? I think it was. And she stood up and she says, we're better than this. Go home. And she was right. Yeah, and they're not, message. And they're not paying, you know, they're not paying the respect and honoring of, um, what's his name? I'm oh, sorry, Floyd. Uh, George Floyd. George Floyd. They're not, they're not honoring his memory. They're not honoring anything. And I don't, at, at some point, I don't believe he has anything to do with it anymore. People are just using it as an excuse. And that's horrible because he deserves respect and honor for what he went through. And uh, this is no way to do it. So, and I look at the cops and they're going through hell and back, suffering the incredible backlash and being blamed for one bad cop or two yeah. or 10 out of, the, out of the hundreds of thousands of cops that we have. And it's, it's terrible. But anyway, we've been talking about the frontline workers. We have been. We've talked yeah. in, a, in the last couple of, of podcasts, we talked about some of the experiences of um, uh, hospital personnel, uh, a little more on the East Coast than here, that are regularly, daily having people die while they're at work. Right. There's been and, some incredible articles about it. Yeah, and then last week we also did talk a little bit on the occasion of Memorial Day. We talked about some of the caregivers. Yeah, the, you know, I listened to that podcast. I was touched. Yeah, yeah. and I've talked, interestingly, I've heard some, from some of my 
friends who were killed in Vietnam, and I've heard from their widows lately. And I, it means it's a special. It means a lot to me. And they're very close and old friends. And uh, I've been thinking about them lately. And sure enough, I'm hearing from them now. So that means a lot to me. And touch. And they're very com compassionate about what I'm going through with them. They're, they're wonderful. So uh, yeah, last week was special to me. Mm -hmm. And I lost some very special friends during that time. So yes, that was a good episode. And um, but this week is is too. And um, this week is more in the in the in alignment with a lot of the frontline medical workers and what they're faced with. And you're right; it mostly centers on the hotspots of New York, New Jersey, um, other places that are hotspots, Los Angeles. And I I listen to what they're going through, and uh, and I read about it. Mm -hmm. And I have friends that are nurses uh, on the front lines too. Um, and they're, they're definitely, it's, a, it's such a tough grind, but, but what I've been reading about is what they're going through. And um, I was thinking about it, and I'm saying, these are touching articles. And um, the latest one was in, a, I think, an op-ed piece today or yesterday? It was actually, it was actually May 19th, and it's in the New York Times. May 19th? May 19th. I don't know how, there's such a delay sometimes between when they're published and when we come, become aware of them, but at any rate, this is a good one. Uh, the title is, I Accept Death. I Hope Doctors and Nurses Will Too. It's written by a hospice nurse named Teresa Brown. Oh, so she's a hospice nurse. Yeah. Okay, you know, we work with hospice nurses and hospice quite a bit. And um, I should have known, <laughs> I'm reading it, I didn't name Dawn of me, she's a hospice nurse. Although she was talking about the difference between hospice people on the front lines versus Clinical medical professionals. Right, right. Yes. and she differentiated it in a very compassionate way, but also distinctively, distinctively different. Different approaches. Yes, and the medical system is geared toward healing and curing people, um, not death and dying. So these people who have dedicated their lives to helping others heal and recover and um, you know, do all the things they need to do, the medical people are very dedicated in that way. It's like their mission. It's their mission in life. Well, the problem with that is they're myopic. And I've seen it, I've experienced it personally, not toward me, but um, and I've seen it and I, I know it's true. Because when it really comes down to understanding death and dying. They don't even want to look at they it. They don't want to look at it, they don't want to hear about it. If they're confronted with it, and they, they, everybody is if they're on the front lines, they usually feel like they did something wrong, like they failed. That's her point, is they feel that that is a failure on their part. Mm, if yeah. someone passes away on their watch, in their care, they have failed. Even though it has nothing to do with anything that they've done. Yeah. And they've done everything they could, and yet that's the, the, the self-confrontation that comes out of this kind of work. And that's where people can go, unfortunately, and they, they really buy that, that they failed in some way. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've seen a lot of it, and um, it's, 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 not, it's not a good thing to do. And I'll tell you something, the hospice nurses and doctors are a whole different breed. Yes. They deal with death and dying every day, and they know they're not going to heal the people they're helping. What they're going to do is help them and be comfortable and feel loved and cared for. 
all the way through the end of their lives. So they accept death. Yeah. And uh, that's so different than the normal medical personnel. And you know, it's interesting, it's what we've been talking about lately, not just for medical personnel, but what we're seeing with the COVID-19 crisis is that it's made people come to grips. I'm not saying they've, managed, they've mastered it for any, in fact, far from it. But what I do see is that it's forcing people to come, with the, come to the idea of you can die from this on a massive level, okay? Um, not everybody's dying from it, and um, there's plenty of survivors, many more survivors than people that died, but the whole reality is coming home that you can, things you've placed your security in and what's going to give you stability, your, your income, your companies, whatever, are all shut down, and you're not getting any of that. The folks that are dependent on that, they're in shock. They don't know what to do. Um, a lot of their identity has been wrapped up in external security, external acknowledgement, particularly corporate people are notorious for it. They work hard in their jobs, but they don't realize many times that there's a lot more to deal with than just what they do. And, you know, my heart goes out to them because I see how depressed they are and how they're, they're not what I call self-starters many times. They, they don't know what to do with themselves. And a lot of the things they place their, their importance in and security in, they're gone. Now, we went through this, and we, we faced this and wrote a book about it in the Great Recession. We saw so much of it, but we're seeing a lot of it now. We're seeing a lot of it now, and the other thing that we've pointed out, you've pointed out, is that, as you say, not so many people, thankfully, will die from COVID as will have it, but it's also a bit of a wake-up that we will all die. Everybody. And how willing have we been to look at that fact, that reality? Right. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Peter and I are again uh, talking about the COVID-19 pandemic, but particularly right now, we're talking about um, the effect on clinical medical professionals on caring for COVID-19 patients when their focus is on healing and curing, and they can't do that. These patients may not survive, and for them, it can feel like a failure. Uh, we're contrasting that with uh, the hospice approach, uh, particularly from an article that we read recently. And because we have personal experience with wonderful hospice care mm -hmm. and the, the contrast of acceptance of death and easing suffering on the way. Um, with COVID-19, everyone, not just medical professionals, not just first responders, everyone is kind of being woken up and having to face the fact, whether they wanted to or not, that whether they die from COVID-19 or not, they will, Everybody's we, die. will all die. And I think that there's been so much energy put into before this um, on avoiding the, the whole issue of death and dying. I mean, our whole society has been rigged toward distraction from that idea. And yet it's a very difficult and important condition of everybody's life. So it's pretty astounding that it's been so pervasive and um, 
that attitude has caused a lot of damage and a lack of resilience because now people are facing this. They're certainly facing their fears. And, and when I say facing, well, they're very, very anxious and at a very high level of anxiety. And you look at that and you go, what, you know, what is making them overreact to the way they are? Well, you know what's behind all of it? The fear of death. And this is bringing that home. The businesses, their employment. Um, That's in both those aspects. There's the aspect of health and there's the aspect of losing income, that that is a survival type of threat. Yeah, and it certainly is bringing that home. You know, and it's forcing people to look at themselves in a different way. And I have to say, this time, um, now there's good people out there, but i got to say, I, I think a lot of people are just watching these riots and watching they're out of control. The fears are blowing up. They're, um, uh, the fears have turned into wild anger and rage, which is not unusual. Yeah, we talked in the first uh, segment about how what happened with George Floyd has been a trigger to release some of this pent-up fear and anger and frustration. Right, and unfortunately the memory of this poor man that suffered like that um, is being manhandled, abused, and dishonored. And uh, people that are doing this, they got, they got to take a real good look at themselves and what they're doing. And I don't think you have to point it has much to do with him anyway. anyway. No, so no. That's, that to me is really sad. Um, nobody deserves to die like he did. Nobody has, deserves to be treated that way. And there's no question about that. But that doesn't justify the kind of wildly destructive behavior that we're seeing now, yeah. dangerous and blaming and attacking all cops for all being the, 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 the people that are doing this. It's just not true. But there, what, we were, you know, what we've been talking about a lot is a couple of things. One is this fear of death. Um, that we're, that people are being forced to deal with on a great, this is on a grand level. We've talked about, for a long time, the people that live in an ex, what we call extraordinary reality. Those are the people on the front lines. Those are people like ourselves and many others. Uh, first responders, cops, firefighters, doctors, nurses, uh, frontline counselors of all types. It's a different reality. The hospice workers, that we get along with them so well mm -hmm. um, because they're, they're really on the front lines That's with us. That's where they are all the time. And we, our teams work so beautifully with them, and there's a reason for it. And that's because when you do this kind of work, you wind up kind of being thrown back on yourself. It does expose exposes us. It's a very agonizing process, but if you're going to be committed to this work and helping others, you're going to go through some changes. And the changes are very painful at times because we're forced to look at our own inadequacies and our own problems, and they are painful, very. And the situations that we're dealing with are very painful and heart-wrenching. No question about any of that. But in, in the process of doing this kind of work, that's part of our job, is learning how to cope with ourselves, learning self-care, um, which is really important. Um, and it's an ongoing kind of challenge. Um, and I, I got to say, we'll talk a little bit more about that in, in a couple of minutes. But we're forced to do it. And we've been doing it a long time. And I know many other people are too. But I've never seen massive populations have to do it. Yeah. And now they're forced to look at the whole possibility of death and dying too. Mm -hmm. And people are terrified. And they're not acting. 
I got to say, they're not. A lot of people aren't reacting well at all. No, they're reacting emotionally. Oh, uh, yeah. Everybody has emotions, but these people have no clue what they're doing, so they strike out. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about the rioters. I mean, there's plenty of people who aren't rioting, but they're so scared and they're so angry and upset that they do take it out on others. Yeah. And I, I have experienced it many times. Um, I've seen other people experience it, and it's not fun. No. You know, because they come out pretty strong and wild. And you've got to go, what has brought this out of them? But it's part of this time, and that means these folks aren't dealing with the process of looking at themselves and understanding themselves better. That's, that awareness is so important. In our work, what really makes it important is that we're empathic-type people, people that are first responders and nurses and doctors and firefighters, and many cops, by the way, um, are empathic types, and that means they really do care about others and other people's welfare. Um, and they're more open and more sensitive and they're more receptive to the energy that goes out when you're, when you're dealing with a difficult situation in any of these things that I've talked about. We're more prone to absorb the energy of these very difficult situations. And it's not pleasant, but it is part of the job and mm -hmm. it has a pretty painful effect on us. It affects our bodies, by the way. And that's, to me, the key to finding a way through it and, and restoring ourselves. Um, I find the body is so important to pay attention to and understand how it reacts to the things that we're absorbing. But I find many people have found ways, helpers, have found ways to avoid and deny what was going on with them. And that is a setup for compassion fatigue and ultimate burnout. Um, because they, it has such a cumulative effect. And eventually, we've seen, I've seen caregivers also get very ill. And get physically ill. Physically yeah. ill because yeah. of the accumulation of these very distressing energies that build up and emotions. And, yeah. and eventually, our, our nervous systems are building on such a high level of, cord, they call it cortisol, which is this hyperadrenalized state, that eventually the body breaks down. I think people misunderstand and we've read things and we've seen things where people say, uh, like medical professionals say, if I pause and slow down and feel this, I'm going to fall apart. I'm going to become ineffective and incapable of doing my job. And that's a misunderstanding of how the body heals and resolves these very traumatic experiences that we take on. One of the guiding things that we have come to do this podcast for is to explain and share what we know about how to work through these, that, that, that the accumulation of traumatic experiences does not have to burden you and letting yourself work them through is not going to incapacitate you. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting when I was thinking about today's broadcast, I'm also thinking about to the other, uh, the other 78 that we've done, and a lot of emphasis was how to preserve yourself in these very difficult situations. And I think we do know a few things by now. Uh, <laughs> we've got know. the papers to prove it. Yeah, right? <laughs> and you know, I was listening, and I'm thinking to myself, well, we're reading about these things, the fear of death and dying, and the difficulties that folks are going through now, and it's all very relevant and very present. And I'm thinking to myself, they're going to need our help. Yeah. We know what to do. We help many. And we want to help. And we want That's to. That's why we're here today doing what we're doing. Exactly. This, this podcast was designed because we want to reach more people and give them encouragement and hope, even during 
struggles and suffering. There are things you can do right in the moment of the things that are so hard. In fact, you need, it's necessary. You need to, yeah. So it's a training for sure. Now, the situations right now are so overwhelming in different places that it would be, all of our skills would be tested to the max. Yeah. And I understand that, but it would still work if people took it very seriously. We've talked about paying attention to how your body is absorbing the energy and um, what it feels like. It does not mean at the time, though, we've never said this, that you can get into it and get off on your own pain or your own accumulated distress and take the focus off the people that you're supposed to help at the time. Absolutely not. And I know when I train people, I've seen... Uh, <laughs> I think back to a couple of things, but one of them is we've helped a lot of military, particularly Marines and some Navy SEALs. And it's amazing how they are so identified and caring with their brothers and sisters suffering that in the middle of it, their own stuff comes up and they get lost. And they're not, after a while, they make it harder and worse for the person they're trying to help them better. And I have to train them to back off. And we're not here to take care of you right now. That's the person we need to take care of. And they're actually inflaming the problem and making it worse and contaminating it with your own emotional experiences. We have a way of teaching people how to push what we call the pause button. And that means, it doesn't mean you're not going to feel. It just means you're going to realize what you're feeling in your body at the time, emotionally, biologically, spiritually, and every other way. But you aren't going to be getting into it at that point because you're there to help somebody else in their crisis, in their pain. But later on, it is so important to know how to deal with the things that you've accumulated um, and not let it build on itself to where you really have a personal crisis. So um, we know what that, that, that entails. We know it's a, quite a challenge. It's a, quite a discipline. And uh, we train a lot of people over the years how to do this. And we see it's not easy. It's not easy for any of us. But the more you do it, the better you get at it. The stronger you get at it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we know that. We know personally we do it. But we also know how bad we can feel afterwards. We don't lie about that. Yeah. There's people that, that will, will think that or feel that they don't know what we're talking about when uh, we say that the body takes on these stresses. And then we'll say, well, now, remember, is it true for you that your jaw ever gets tight? Mm -hmm. Or do you ever feel like this pain across mm. your shoulders? Or does your stomach ever hurt? <laughs> and they'll go... Yeah, and we'll say that's part of what we're talking about, is your body is taking on some of this very uh, painful negative experiences. Let's, I, I'm going to have to say my little spiel here, uh, and then we'll be back. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And uh, Peter and I are here talking uh, again about some of the experiences that first responders, medical professionals are going through at this time during the COVID-19 pandemic and caregivers as well. And how this difficult time, they can take it in. It's like a sponge, the stressful emotions, the stressful experiences, and their bodies start to 
carry these burdens in ways that can be, people can become aware of, and that awareness is so important in order to be able to work through and deal with some of it. You have to be aware, and you have to know yourself. And that doesn't mean all your good stuff. You gotta know your history, you gotta know what, how it's affected you, you gotta know a lot about yourself so you have this core at the center that after you absorb these other things, you know where you are, and this other stuff is been accumulating inside of you. You put them together, and people get triggered, and that's not good because then you run them together. But you have, you do have to know yourself, and you do have to know what you're feeling, and it's very important. Um, we're not talking about walking around being a touchy-feely person all the time. We're not talking about that. We're talking that. about kind of the woo-woo, transcendent no, type we're not stuff. Talking no, about this that is at really all. very practical stuff. And what's really practical is if people who don't don't know what they're feeling or feel I have to tough it out, and they're absorbing the energy, what what really happens is they're so usually they're so concerned about having control. But the truth of the matter is, in doing what we're talking about in a mistaken way. They aren't going to have control. Those emotional states will begin to take on a life of their own, and you'll begin to do out of out of control reactions, and they're not good. Um, and that's if they take on a life of their own, and all of a sudden you're so worried about being in control, you know, you're not in control at all. So what kind of what we're talking about with the pause button is that yes, for a while, while you must, you're going to control your reactions. You're aware of what's going on, but you're going to control because of the person in front of you or the situation in front of you needs your response. Absolutely. But if you try to freeze yourself there and never deal with it, that's when control becomes a real problem. It is. And what happens is you can kind of disconnect, and that's another, we call it disassociation, and disconnect from what's going on, and you don't even feel it anymore. The problem is it's still, it's still there. cumulative. And it's triggering off parts of your brain, the amygdala, which are the intense fear reactions. The, the amygdala kicks off the, the cortisol levels, and then you're in a hyperadrenaline state. So you're on hyper alert and hyper arousal 24-7. And unless you're in a war zone, in a real danger, um, that's not a healthy place to be, because we're not designed to be um, on hyper alert 24-7. No. That's what begins to happen because people aren't dealing with things and eventually it takes over. That leads to a lot of very serious problems. The reactions get to be, a lot of times people, by the way, who are on the front lines get preoccupied with self-medication, drinking and that drugs. Artificial control from drugs or substances or some kind of activity. Really common. Yeah. And uh, first responders who are my favorite people to work with, they at times have a preoccupation with alcohol. And they deal with some of the most horrible situations. They really do. But I'll be darned, it's part of their culture. And it's not a good part. Um, I've seen them also turn on each other like it's like it's nothing because they're under such stress that they, they trigger off and they go at each other. None of that are good signs. But yet, first responders, like many others on the front line, have an attitude of we've got to tough it out. Mm -hmm. And that's the best way we can do it, or we'll do a little... So crisis intervention, in other words, a debriefing, and after a difficult situation, we'll talk about it. And, well, that's good. It's a good start. It's a good start, but it's totally inadequate. It's not complete. It's a setup for lots of trouble. So um, what we look at is we feel that to, to be resilient under these, these circumstances, particularly the most current, people do need a way to decompress. They do need to get help um, and support for what they're going through, and they also need to pay attention to how their bodies are feeling. 
that tight joy you mentioned earlier that usually has to do with rage and anger and bitterness. Um, the tight sh shoulders and the, and the hard chest and the heart, your chest, you know, your heart being really fast. You're in a hyper alert state and you're into anger. What's one of the things that we're beginning to see come out of these fear time, fearful times? So much rage and anger. Rage and anger. Because people don't know how to deal with it. And now that it's coming out, they're dealing with it. Your, the emotions are taking over, and they are going at each other, and they're doing tremendous destruction and damage. Very regrettable, to say the least. And I know I wouldn't want to be a cop on the front lines at this time, because you'd be, you're being attacked for things you didn't do and you don't deserve. I've seen some very touching things, too, where cops have, have embraced, and some of the demonstrators have embraced each other with love and caring and appreciation. To me, that's the way, I love that when I see that. Yeah. And um, I know so many good people uh, who are in enforcement. And, and uh, it's, it's very touching, they're good folks, very good folks, and they care a lot. Mm -hmm. And they, they do, instead of doing just criminal enforcement, they do a lot of- They do community service. They do a lot of community service and yeah. a lot of helping. Yeah, community building and, and uh, oh, no. helping those and we know a lot of them. They yeah, know a lot of them, and they're very good people. Yeah. Let me, let me take you back for a minute to a word that you used, and I know we've talked about it before, but you're saying about how we people in a very highly charged state need to be able to decompress. Yes. What is that you're talking about? Okay. That, there's many ways to do it, um, uh, but I, number one, the body is the, the centerpiece of all of that, not just your mind, but your body, because the body is the reservoir for all this emotion, all this energy. Um, all these mental things that are going on, your body is the storehouse for all of that. It affects your unconscious thinking, your unconscious that affects your body. So, I mean, all this stuff is pretty darn important, but unless you deal with the body, we've never found that it's a, a, a trauma recovery is very effective without dealing with the body. So we teach people what to pay attention to in their bodies and what they're accumulating, how to tell when they're starting to get really angry and enraged, what the physical reactions are, that um, they begin to, they begin to, they, they can see it maybe in others, but they don't see it in themselves. Fear reactions um, and what that does to the body. And there's different signs within the body. It's telling you what your, what the distress is. It may, you may not remember the absolute connection yet or the content, but your body's telling you it's holding this stuff. And we call it armoring. It's your body is, the muscularity is beginning to hold it. And it's very painful. I, I can tell you um, in our work, and I've been a very muscular type of person and a very uh, uh, empathic, but also very aggressive and competitive in sports and all this, my whole life. And yet I look at that and let me tell you, when I'm feeling stress and I'm dealing with it, my body hurts and I know where it hurts and I don't like it, but I also know how to deal with it. And it's usually got a lot of emotional pain in the, in, behind it. And I know that. I don't like it to this day, but yet I know what it is. And I know... And you know what to do about it. I know what to do about it. I have no problem helping people all day and all night, but there's going to be a time that I need to take some time for myself, my own emotional states, my own overloads. Um, and it's hard now because my wife is very, very ill and dying. And... I have that on top of my work. Now, she's the most important thing in my life. It has been for 46 plus years. And I adore her. And um, 
But I got to tell you, I, to take care of her is the greatest privilege. To take her to her last breath is, is a privilege. And I know we have most of our staff and our caregivers feel exactly the same way. She's a mm -hmm. very special we woman. We do. And are very touched. But we were talking in our staff meeting today. That's not the same, though, as being a husband or wife or soulmate to someone. Mm -hmm. So the pain is intense. And I know when I have a little time myself, and I don't have much because there's people at our institute and, our, and, and uh, around me all the time. But there are a few, I know I'm going to have a few hours or some, some time, some place. And if that pain is coming up, I know I have to deal with it. Um, and I have no, I've been trained how to deal with it. And deal with my body. I've been trained to deal with my emotions um, very thoroughly because of the PhD that I got in the specialty in body work. But we've taken it much further since then. Um, and to get that cathartic decompression is to me it's it's a gift. And everybody that we help feels the same way. Why? Because we may not we may not be able to change the situation we're in, and we have to go back to difficult situations. But what we can do is choose how we're going to respond after you decompress after you discharge there's a way to discharge this emotional charge yes. discharge it. and then you have the choice again and there's hope and there's a way to go back with resilience and i, I love it i mean i'm very grateful for it i don't know what i would do without it i know we help so many of our own staff the same way and they feel the same way um, it just gives you a renewed spirit um, to go on. Even though situations that you're facing may not change and may be very difficult, you go on with more hope and more resilience. And that's what we encourage the first responders, the frontline workers, to learn to do. I've developed a, a kind of um, body work over many, many years. It incorporated some of the early body work and then it's gone on since then to, to help people. Now, for many years I was a psychotherapist and this was a big piece of it, and yet I did an awful lot of mentoring, a lot of coaching, and a lot of consulting with it. Mm -hmm. I feel that they go together, but I'll be honest with you, if I have to sit with someone and just consult with them or coach them, I know I'm limited in what I'm going to be able to accomplish with them. Not that it doesn't help, but I know if I can access what they're pent up, what's built up in them, I have so much, a, a better chance of giving them renewed hope and resilience. And I encourage it where I can. We've written papers on it, we've written books on it, we've published papers. We feel that it's a very important part of, of stress reduction and decompression for the frontline workers, the nurses, the doctors, um, the cops, the, the firefighters, the all of them. They need to learn to do this. And a, and a debriefing after a difficult session is not it. Will it help? Temporarily, that's all. And, but I don't really say that's the answer at all. I would say that's a limited answer. Um, for others that feel, and I have friends like this who I adore, and they're tough and out types, like I bet. The only difference is I do cry. And I will, not on every, not with everybody, but I, I take care of it. They don't. And I see them burning out. I see them maxed out with the work they've been doing and what the toll it's taking on them and I just wait and hope for what their that their reactions will be different and most of the time it's not. I know what they're gonna do. Well some we've talked about the culture, that the culture for first responders and for and medical personnel as well can be very against 
the idea that uh, you can stop and take care of yourself in this way, uh, that it's a sign of weakness to need to uh, let down in like that. Uh, let's. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go to my thing again, and we'll come back. Uh, so you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Uh, Peter and I are spending time, because we feel it's so important, we're spending time today in regard to some of the very uh, significant stresses that uh, our medical professionals, our first responders, our law enforcement officers are taking on at this time with the pandemic, with the violence that's happening uh, in, the, in our cities. Uh, we... Our work over the years has addressed how to stay healthy, how to take care of yourself, how to work through the intense distress that you can take on, that these professionals can take on, uh, these caring and empathic professionals take on as part of their work. Yeah. And so we've been stressing how this happens, how they can get some help. And, you know, in the medical professions, I'm sure you've all seen it, where there's gifted people who really are so human. Um, but many, you'll see the medical profession really teaches people how to be more removed and almost cool about things and objective. And I don't, I've seen too much of that go wrong and go bad. Um, it's a mistaken approach. It's a psychiatric approach to the medical world, and I don't agree with it. And I've been involved with it for almost 50 years. Because I know there's a better way to be resilient and stay very human as well. And our approach allows it, and I can attest to it myself because I've been doing it for so long. And my load, my load of responsibilities and distress hasn't gotten lighter. It's gotten quite heavier, quite a bit heavier. And yet I'm able to make the best of it. I'm able to, to find ways of self-care. I'm also a spiritual person, and um, that's another element to dealing with trauma that is so important um, is to discover and your where you are spiritually and I don't mean just I don't mean religiously necessarily I mean where you are because the spiritual side of things has a, a dimension to it that it, there's a power greater than all of ours that's in control and we can look at situations that seem so unjust and so unfair and so heartbreaking and go. If there was a God, how could he let this kind of thing happen? How many times I've heard that? How many times did I used to say that? And yet what I also see is, there's a God. And there's a lot of things I don't understand that happen to people. And yet, I've been able to find purpose and meaning, sticking with it all these years and helping folks. And when I come through the other side of it, or they come through the other side of it with me, I'm able to see that there was something that was going to come out of this for good. It's a very, it can be an agonizing process, for sure. Oh, very much uh, so. Very much so. And we wrote a, read an article at a, what was it called, a few weeks ago from the Wall Street Journal about our... Dying gives us a chance to confront truth. Oh, it's a great article. Mm -hmm. And they talk about an old Christian principles from the Middle Ages called Ars, Ar, Ar Mariande. 
which is called, it's called The Art of Dying. And they wrote this in the Middle Ages for these long-term dying and... How to approach death as an important process, not something to be avoided or hope that you die in your sleep, but something, an important part of life. Yeah, and you know, it's so right. I did a beautiful article and I was wondering how a professor could write so beautifully. He's taking care of his dying wife. And he wrote about this in such a beautiful human way about what people go through and that if you have a, this longer term to deal with death and dying, well, it brings it closer to you. It also gives you a chance to learn so much more about how to be real and find your purpose in life and find how important it is to be authentic and true. Um, and what really is important in life and all the other stuff that's such rubbish, that's so unimportant. You learn that over a long period of time. If you're dealing with people like loved ones that are, are dying or people that you love, like the, in this COVID-19, a lot of people can't be there for their loved ones in hospitals. It's the most devastating thing to hear about, but That's they don't have access. Part of the trauma that the, the medical staff are seeing, they're, they're the ones there. and It's, it's a horror. There's no, there's no minimizing it. Yeah. But in the meantime, what it does is it gives us a chance to learn about death and dying. And in the process of doing it, we can discover that there's a freedom to living once you face death. Other people's as well as facing, you're going to die too, eventually. When you face it, it makes you appreciate life so much more and, and um, value things that are so small, but yet so beautiful and so important that you may not have paid attention to before. And also in your relationships, you begin to value and appreciate your relationships. It also helps you let go of things that aren't important, like resentments and bitternesses and unforgivenesses. I can't say I don't hold them myself, but I also know that it's not worth spending a lot of time on. Um, it's better to let them go. There's more important things to put our energy into, my energy. And that's what really, that you begin to learn what's really important in life and what isn't. So once we begin to do that, and we begin to face this, we also can begin to cope with our anxieties and fears in a, in a better, more balanced way. We can begin to look at ourselves in ways of coping through these difficulties in ways that we can learn so much about ourselves. And I'm not talking about being pre preoccupied and, and self-indulgent. I am talking about what we have to do for self-care in order to face these difficult situations and come back to them with resilience and hope because the people we're helping and the people first, they need us to be there. They need us to be loving and hopeful and caring and genuine. So this is a very important thing to learn how to do. One thing that you're, you're saying is bringing up uh, earlier in our podcast, we were talking about the challenge of for uh, caregivers, professionals, when they don't feel like they're in control, when they can't make happen for the people they love or are caring for, mm -hmm. they can't fix things, they can't make it okay. And what you're talking about now yeah. in, in appreciating the spiritual side, whatever that is for each person, if, if you can draw on that and have faith or of, of your own that if you're not in control, there is a power greater that uh, is. Absolutely. And while, like you said, things may not look right or fair, yeah. 
if we have if we can have hold on to a faith that something is coming of good that would help with this feeling that we are out of control we can't have happen what we want to have happen well you mentioned something i think the issue of control is very important for us good intentioned people and that is we're there to help we're there to give and care and we want to do whatever we can to help people whether we deal with death and dying as well as the sick um, we want to help them, we want to comfort them, we want to make life easier. And sometimes we're confronted with the impossibilities, that there is absolutely nothing we can do to turn the course of events around for folks. That is quite a challenge. And my heart goes out to any frontline worker and helper that go, we all go through this. The key is what you can learn from that. And it's never easy. But the most important part is, know that we all have emotions and we all have emotional reactions. But that is not going to give you an accurate picture and, and give you perspective. So you need to learn how to decompress and diffuse those emotions so you can begin to see things in a more positive and constructive way. The body is the key to diffusing and decompressing those pent-up emotions. So you can come to a place of more a better positive perspective. Um, more hopeful. More hopeful. And certainly you're going to give a certain kind of care and love to people that are in such desperate need, mm -hmm. that are moving toward dying, and, and they are dying, and they are moving toward death. Well, the truth of the matter is you can offer them, your entire presence um, can offer them something so sweet and comforting during some very uncomfortable times. Um, one thing that struck me about one of the articles, a nurse who wrote one of these uh, op-ed pieces, and I thought it was so sweet, she was a hospice nurse. Mm -hmm. And she said, hospice, people were telling her hospice nurses are angels. And I agree with that, by the way. I do too. And I agree with it for our staffing too. Yes. They're angels. And you know what she said? She demurred and said, you know what? I'm human. Yes. And I agree. She is right. Yes. And she said it in such a meaningful I'm way. I'm trying to find it here. Yes, people often say, is it okay if I read? Yeah. People often say that hospice nurses are angels. I tended to demur and say, no, I'm human. Yeah. What the praise shows, I think, is that being comfortable with death is unusual. Comfortable is the wrong word. I accept death. Perfect. Perfect and a very difficult understanding to get to. Yes. And I can attest to that. As much as I know about the process, I can tell you every time I go through it, and particularly now with my own wife, it's agonizing. And yet what she said is true. Yeah. It's an acceptance of the condition of life. I could continue. I, I accept its inevitability, but also its importance. Death is the end of each person's time on earth. It is a privilege to care for people in that moment. I embrace the cycle of life while recognizing the sadness of every death. That's a hospice nurse, a hospice worker for sure, and ours at the institute. Yeah. Same attitude. That's why we get along so good on teams. Because we are right there. That is, those are That's, our feelings as and well. And we feel it is an absolute privilege to be selfless at those times and to give. And we've read some of the articles we've read about some of the nurses on the front lines. I believe that maybe not hospice nurses. They feel the same way, and yet they're not prepared for what they're going through, and they are overwhelmed. Now they're terribly overwhelmed. My heart, it goes out to them. So we, we're seeing all of this, and we wanted to offer encouragement and hope 
And to tell you, there's some real tangible skills and training and abilities to help yourself that we could offer you. Um, we do it at our Institute, Bernstein Institute. It's, we've written papers on it. We have a book out on it called Trauma Healing the Hidden Epidemic. Um, but we have a lot of papers that we've published, and we'd be glad to share you share them with you. And also, we can help you. And I was just telling Jenny before this episode, maybe this is the time we need to reach out again and do some workshops to help some of these frontline workers during this crisis instead of waiting till it's over, because then it's going to be such an accumulation. Of they could break trauma. down both emotionally and physically. Yeah, it may be the time. I, you know, up until today, I wasn't thinking that way because our plate is pretty full. And yet, at this That's time, true. I'm thinking that we had so many with the skills, the manual that we we train people out of, and also what we're able to teach them to do and what we do, and we're more than willing to share that. But they got to let down a little bit, and they got to realize they can't do this on their own. They got to reach out and, and ask for the help. Ask for help. There's yeah. help out there. There's help here, and that's what we're here to do for you. So I hope that this episode today really became more pointed and practical for you and encouraging. But I know when those emotions and that, that overwhelm that's happening is, is occurring with you now, this is kind of a hard thing to hit until you reach a point of almost feeling desperate. But before you want to quit, <laughs> and I have friends of mine that are, I hear that they're ready to quit, don't. They probably, many of you probably have a great gift to offer. And it just you just need to face that next condition of life that you almost didn't want to admit that was going to happen because you committed your life to saving people. We have too. But the other part of it is we've got to make people comfortable that we're not able to save. And then we've got to help ourselves. So we offer this to you today with encouragement, hope, and love and appreciation for all that you are. And for those on the front lines where the violence and the, God, I, I pray for you. I really do. You don't deserve it. Um, you're, you're catching flack from people that are so pent up and out of control. And uh, they are terribly destructive and violent. So keep yourself safe, please, and come home safely. And uh, get off the front lines as soon as you can because these folks are out of control. And for them, I want to say you're not, you're dishonoring a great memory of a man that went through a very bad time of injustice and murder. But my God, you're not honoring him. You can do better. You can be better. He deserves better. So I really ask you to calm yourselves, go home, and deal with yourselves in some new ways that, is more, that are more constructive. And that's something that would show honor to really to George Floyd. George Floyd, yeah. Mm -hmm. We'd be honoring his memory and doing him something really, giving it something very special. The Survivor's Guide to Life is made possible through a grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 public charity that relies entirely on donations. And we hope that you've uh, benefited from what we've done here today, what we said, and if you'll consider donating to uh, Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment at sctraumatreatment.org. Our website for the podcast is thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. Our podcasts and many other resources are available on that website as well as uh, YouTube. We have a YouTube channel that has videos of our podcasts as well. Please follow us on Facebook. Uh, like us, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, you can reach us, Dr. Bernstein or myself, at 707 781 3335 and thank you for listening. Jenny, your email. My email, Jenny oh. at 
bernsteininstitute.com and the GoFundMe campaign that SC Trauma Treatment, Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment has right now. And I want to say hello to one of my young friends who we've known since he's been in the four years old, Patrick, in Rwanda, who's going to become part of our family of the show and uh, what we're doing. Yeah, part of our team. He's a very special young man. And I know he's got a show of his own. What's it called? Sawuti. Sawuti. All right, Patrick. All our love, brother. Take care. And we're looking forward to your contributions to your technical knowledge and your generation's understanding of this. So we're looking forward to it. It's a, a, you're a blessing. You always say that. Take care, man.